They went to the commander-in-chief Muhammad most prestigious of the books of hadith there you find the cloth underneath it was Rasulullah then Amir al-Mu'mineen they went to the commander-in-chief Aisha the wife of Rasulullah A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajim Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Al-Imam Al-Hasan Ibn Ali Ibn Fatima Sibtu Rasulillah became the rightful successor to his father and claimed the position of Khilafah after the martyrdom of his father to then become the leader of the ummah of his grandfather Rasulullah. He claimed this leadership position in the year 40 after the Hijrah and his Khilafah lasted for only six months and ended in the year 41 after the Hijrah even though the Khilafah of Imam Hassan was an extremely short period of time less than a year however his biography and his life and his legacy needs to be examined and understood thoroughly for not only he was the Khalifa of the Muslimin, but he was also the grandson of Rasulullah and the son of Amir al-Mu'mineen who lived in an extremely critical time from the Islamic history. As in, what I'm trying to say is, even if Hassan ibn Ali was not the Khalifa, never claimed the position of Khilafa, his life and legacy would still be of an extreme importance to those trying to understand the reality of Islamic history. Why? Because here is a man who is praised by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran. Here is a man who is praised by the seal of the messengers that lives in, in an extremely critical time and a period from the history of Islam in a time where Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan was ready to change the face of Islam from a faith, from a religion to a dynasty and a kingdom what would be the stance of the grandson of Rasulullah? What would be the stance of a man who you do not need to look into the words of scholars or read history to find his merits? You have to just go directly to the Holy Quran, to the last divine message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there 
you will find that this man has been praised by the Almighty God Himself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah al-Shura, a surah which was revealed in the holy city of Medina, responds to a critical question of the Muslims. The Muslims came to the Prophet. They said to him, Ya Rasulullah, prior to your arrival, prior to your leadership, we were individuals who had no civilization. We would kill one another. Specifically, Aus and Khazraj, who were two tribes in the Arabian Peninsula that fought each other for hundreds of years. And they would give breaks to one another during Ashhur al Hurum, the sacred months. Amongst the sacred months is the month of Muharram. And after the sacred months would be over, then they begin to kill one another, ambush one another, murder one another. People who found, find, found honor to be an honorable man, to be a dignified man, to be a respected man, you would have to earn your living by theft and murder. What do I mean? I mean the Arabs... For them to have an honorable living, they would ambush each other. They would intercept caravans. They would steal the goods of other people. Why? Because this was noble. This showed bra bravery and courage. Rasulullah came and introduced them to the concept of agriculture. Put your weapons away. Or become more civilized. There is no reason for you to keep fighting. There's nothing honorable in killing innocent people. At first they laughed. They ridiculed the Prophet. You want us to leave our honor, which is our sword, and go and work on a farm? That's the job of slaves. It's not the job of free men. So Rasulullah himself led the very first example and he began to dig whales that he ordered his brother and his cousin and his deputy Amir al-Mu'mineen to dig whales and work at the farm and agriculture and that became a norm in that society. So that society changed. Economically it changed. Its security changed. Its behavior changed. They used to bury their daughters alive. Now, woman are spared their lives and they're honored and respected. They used to worship the idol. And there's a beautiful story of the conversion of Abu Dhar, Al-Ghifari. Abu Dhar came and he brought the goods that Bani Ghifar, his tribe, had given him to go and place them in front of their idol that represented them in the Kaaba. So he came to place the good in front of the idol. Then he saw a fox came and drank the milk that they put in front of the idol. He brought some milk, he put it in front of the idol. The fox came and drank the, uh, the milk that belonged to their god. And the god couldn't defend itself. Then he turned around and urinated on the god. 
So Abu Dhar saw this and he said, which kind of God can defend himself? And uh, this doesn't make sense to me. So he was walking around looking for this new prophet that claims to be the follower of the teachings of Abraham. And he was from Bani Ghifar. Bani Ghifar, they were the biggest gangsters of the Arabian Peninsula. Nobody dared to mess with them. So he saw a young man. This young man came and told him, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for a man who claims to be the last prophet. I'd like to meet him and speak to him about this oneness and tawheed. But you're a child. What would you know? How could you lead me to him? He says, I know who he is. Let me take you to him. That young man was Ali ibn Abi Talib. He took him to Rasulullah. Rasulullah explained Tawheed to him. And right there and then he converted to the religion of Islam. So this was the role of Rasulullah. They came to him. They said, Ya Rasulullah, you've created peace. You've changed our lives. You've made us civilized human beings. How can we repay you? Allah sends this ayah from Surah Al-Shura. قُلْ لَا أَسْأَلُكُمْ عَلَيْهِ أَجْرًا Ya Rasulullah, tell them that you ask them for no reimbursement, no reward, no ajr. Illa, there's one way for you to repay Rasulullah. Illa al-mawaddata fil-qurba. For you to demonstrate, mawadda is not mahabba, mahabba is love. Mawadda is to demonstrate your love. Illa al-mawaddata fil-qurba, to demonstrate, to show your love to the family, to the kinship. So they asked him, Ya Rasulullah, wa manhum al-qurba? This ayah speaks of showing love to your family. Who is your family? And Rasulullah made it clear who his family was. Um Salama. In the, in the book of Al-Imam Muslim. Sahih Muslim. Um Salama. Ummul Mu'mineen Um Salama narrates that Rasulullah came in her home. And he put out a cloak, a cloth. Underneath it was Rasulullah. Then Amir al-Mu'mineen. Then Hassan. Then Hussein. Then Fatima. Went under what was called the Kisa. Then Rasulullah held on to both sides of the Kisa. And he says, Allahumma inna ha'ula ahl bayti. Oh Allah, this is my ahl al-bayt. Not anyone else. Allahumma inna ha'ula ahl bayti. Wa khasati. وحامتي لحمهم لحمي ودمهم دمي يؤلمني ما يؤلمهم ويحزنني ما يحزنهم أنا سلم لمن سالمهم وحرب لمن حاربهم اللهم أذهب عنهم الرجس وطهرهم تطهيرا Oh Allah, those are my أهل البيت Their blood is my blood I am saddened at their sadness. I am happy with their happiness. I am at war with those who go to war with them. Oh Allah, purify them, remove rich from them. And Allah then sends down the ayah 3333. Inna Allah wants. Allah wishes. Allah desires. There is Hassan ibn Ali. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals an ayah 
that speaks of the sacred homes that he wishes and desires to elevate. Allah has given permission to those sacred places and sacred homes to elevate, to be honored. When this ayah is revealed, Abu Bakr, the first Khalifa, comes to Rasulullah. He says, Ya Rasulullah. He points at the home of Fatima. He says, Ya Rasulullah, Ahad al Bayt minhuma. This ayah that speaks of the sacred homes is the home of Fatima amongst them. Sahih Bukhari says, Rasulullah says, it is the greatest of them. Who was in that home? And that home was Hassan. When he was born, and look at the schedule of the Prophet The Prophet didn't have an empty schedule. At night, Allah orders him. Can you increase the volume on the mic? Rasulullah orders him in the middle of the night. Ya ayyuhal muzzammil. At night he would spend in Salat al-Layl. In the morning with the people. His home was never empty of the Sahaba. Yet when Imam Hassan was born, Rasulullah says, Keep his cradle next to me. Let me nurture him. Let me love him. When he was in sujood, Imam Hassan went on his back. He prolonged his sujood. They came to him, Ya Rasulullah, did you sleep? Did you forget? Did you receive the wahi? He says, none of that. My son Hassan was on my back. I prolonged my sujood out of honor and respect to Hassan. So you don't need to look into the books of the scholars and the and the history and you don't need to look anywhere look at the quran and the most prestigious of the books of hadith there you find the merits of hassan ibn ali now regardless whether you accept him as the fourth khalifa or as the fifth khalifa because today they'll tell you the righteously guided khalifa the rightly guided khalifa abu Bakr. Umar, Uthman and Ali. And then after that, they don't mention Imam Hassan. Why? Hassan. Sabtu Rasulillah. Purified by the Quran. Isn't your book, don't you quote this hadith from Rasulullah by Abu Huraira. Rasulullah carried him, carried Hassan. And he was walking in Medina, Abu Huraira saw him. He said to him, I greet you, the, the carrier and the carried. Abu Huraira says to Rasulullah, Blessed is the carrier and the carried, the one being carried. Abu Huraira says to Rasulullah. So Rasulullah says, Abu Huraira, do you know who he is? He says, of course I know he is. He is Hassan, your grandson. He says, no. Ya Abu Huraira. I love him. And Allah loves him. And Allah loves those who love him. This is the position of Hassan. So whether you accept him as the fifth Khalifa or you don't accept him as the fifth Khalifa, he is the grandson of Rasulullah. He is Sayyid Shabab Ahlul Jannah. And he is the one that Rasulullah would say about him. 
مثل أهل بيتي كسفينة نوح من ركبها نجا ومن تخلف عنها هلك وغرق The example of my family and my progeny is like the ark of Noah You're either in the ark and you receive salvation or if you're not in the ark you do not receive salvation Even if you are the son of Nuh himself huh? This is Hassan ibn Ali So if I want to study Islamic history and I am a true student of Islamic history and I want to be honest with myself I have to study the stance of Hassan ibn Ali after the martyrdom of his father what was his position how did he react what did he do what was his role in protecting the originality of the religion of Islam how did he fight innovation Today, the religion of Islam, when we say Islam, how much of that are we indebted to the personality of Hassan? Let's examine him in the following manner, not following steps. First step, we will examine him during the Khilafah of his father. Second step, we will examine him in the six months of his Khilafah. And the following steps. Number one, the battle of Jamal. Number two, the battle of Safin. Number three, the battle of Nahrawan. Number four, his sermon during the burial of his father, Amir al-Mu'mineen. Number five, the first letter sent to him by Muawiyah. Number six, assembling an army to fight Muawiyah. Number seven, the truce and the peace treaty between Hassan and Muawiyah. And number eight, the role of Hussein ibn Ali during the imamah of his older brother, Al-Imam Al-Hassan. Why? Why is the last point extremely important? Obviously, because we have a historical discussion that will continue tomorrow as well. We pick up where we leave. But because, wallahi, we're confused by some people who call themselves scholars. You tell them Hussein, they tell you he was killed by the sword of his grandfather. Because he went after, he went against the Khalifa of his time. You tell them Hassan, they say he was a coward, he didn't fight Muawiyah. So which one is it? The person who makes peace, you trash talk him. The person who goes to war, you trash talk him. What is it? With some people who call themselves Muslims, but have an apparent animosity with the Ahlul Bayt. With the ones that Rasulullah says, إِنِّي سِلْمٌ لِمَنْ سَالَمَهُمْ وَحَرْبٌ لِمَنْ حَارَبَهُمْ إِنِّي مِنْهُمْ وَأَنَا إِنَّهُمْ مِنِّي وَأَنَا مِنْهُمْ Let us examine this personality, the grandson of Rasulullah, the beloved of Rasulullah, Sayyid Shababi Ahlul Jannah, after your loud salawat ala Muhammadin wa Ali Muhammad. It is extremely important that we understand the role of Imam Hassan during the battles that I mentioned. Number one, the Battle of Jamal. The Battle of Jamal took place in Basra, Iraq. On one side is Amir al-Mu'mineen, Ammar ibn Yasir, Abu 
عبد الله الأنصاري جابر بن عبد الله الأنصاري and the greatest of the companions of Rasulullah and on the other side is the wife of Rasulullah Aisha and Talha and Zubair on one side Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr Abdul Rahman ibn Abi Bakr the children of the first Khalifa the grandsons of Rasulullah Hassan and Hussein the son-in-law and the brother and the cousin of Rasulullah Ali and on one side is his wife and some of his companions so a man came to him he said to him Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen Ya Ali I'm confused look I'm an average guy I'm a layman I'm confused on one side I see you I see Ammar I see Hassan and Hussein I see Malik al-Ashtar I see righteous, pious people, but on, on, on one side I see Talha and Zubair. And I see Aisha, the wife of Rasul. I'm confused. Imam Ali says, calm down. Go look for the haqq. Imam Ali could have told him, have you not heard Rasulullah say, to me and bimanzilati Haruna min Musa. Don't you know I am the gate? to the city of the knowledge of Rasulullah. Don't you know I am the brother of Rasulullah? Don't you know? No, no, Imam Ali told him, listen, go look for justice. So this man stayed behind and he was looking. The time of Fajr came, the Mu'addin gave the Adhan in the camp of Amir al-Mu'mineen and Amir al-Mu'mineen had marched with 20,000 men. They all lined up behind him and he led the Salat. Then he went to the other side. There he find the adhan is done. But there is a dispute between Talha and Zubair. Talha says, I have to lead the salah. Zubair says, I have to lead the salah. Talha says, I have to lead the salah. Zubair says, and they have, each one of them has supporters. Until Fajr time came. They went to the commander-in-chief, Aisha, the wife of Rasulullah. You know, we still haven't prayed. So she says, from now on, neither Talha prays, or Zubair prays, Abdullah ibn Zubair, my nephew, will lead salah. So this man right there and then, he knew which one was the side of Haqq. This was the very first battle. Al-Imam Hassan was one of the commanders of his father, Amir al-Mu'mineen. The second battle took place in Raqqa, Syria. The battle between Imam Ali and his troops and Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan. And I'm summarizing this for you. When the battle began, the troops of Muawiyah had eliminated the followers of Amir al-Mu'mineen from water. They would not allow them to drink water. They intercepted the water. So Imam Ali looked at his troops and he said to them, are you going to just sit here and watch yourself die from thirst or are you going to fight for the water? So they went and they fought for the water and they took control of the water. Then Imam Ali heard that they are refusing the troops of Muawiyah from drinking water. What did the Imam say? Imam said the water, like we said yesterday, the day before when we were examining the 
biography of Uthman ibn Affan. Water is not something you can take away from anyone. Even your enemies. Huh? So he allowed them water again. Now, the battle of Jamal when it ended with a victory, of course, for Imam Ali and his companions, Imam Ali extremely calmly went to the caravan of Aisha, the wife of Rasulullah, and he said to her, those guys fooled you. They tricked you. They got you out of your home. So many people were killed. And she started panicking or whatever it was and she fell. When she fell, one of the soldiers of Imam Ali held her. He did not let her fall because Imam Ali had put 70 bodyguards around her so she doesn't get killed. Because if she gets killed, then they blame whom? Imam Ali. And as soon as he held her, she said, how dare you? You're holding on to the wife of Rasulullah. Aren't you ashamed? Do you know that I'm not mahram to you? And she, he told her, calm down. I'm your brother Muhammad. Muhammad, the son of Abu Bakr, who happened to be in the side of Amir al-Mu'mineen. And then he sent her with Muhammad to her residence, peacefully. Then the battle of Safin is an interesting one. Why? Because Amir al-Mu'mineen marched with 80,000 people, but Muawiyah with 120,000 people. 120,000 people? Where did he come up? with 120,000 people. Ask the one who placed him as the head of Sham, the governor of Sham. The battle of Safin did not begin in the time of Imam Ali. The battle of Safin began when Muawiyah was appointed by the Khalifa as the governor of Sham. And he was never questioned for his earnings and his spendings. So he gathered the wealth of the Muslims. And Sham was a huge territory. Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Palestine. This was Sham. Rich countries. So Muawiyah had a lot of money. And Muawiyah, the, 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 the Islam that people knew was the Islam, the version that Muawiyah told them. The people of Sham, from the time that they converted to Islam... Onwards, who was their leader? Who taught them? Who brainwashed them? Muawiyah. They never heard another version of Islam. And what was Muawiyah doing? Was he praising Ali ibn Abi Talib? Or was he cursing Ali ibn Abi Talib? Was he after the preserving the originality of Islam? Or was he fighting Islam at its core? The battle ended. This is the second battle. Then the third battle, the battle of Nahrawan. Total casualties within four years and nine months of 100,000 Muslims. 100,000 Muslims were killed during the Khilafah of Imam Ali. And they asked him, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, can we take the booties of war when we fight them? He says, no, you can't because they are Muslim. So imagine prior to him, imagine this, prior to him there are invasions. 
Slaves are coming in. Money's coming in. Territories are coming in. Gold and silver is coming in. People are thriving over wars. Now, those wars, what do they bring? Just casualties. And Imam Ali does not allow them to take the booties of war because those people are Muslim. Huh? Shia did not have homes. The followers of Imam Ali were going from one battle to another, from one battle to another. And when Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib was struck by the sword on the 21st of Ramadan, and on the 19th of Ramadan, and his son Imam Hassan buried him on the 21st of Ramadan, there he gave a sermon. And interestingly, this was the very first time Imam Hassan gave a sermon. Imam Hassan would not speak during the life of his father. He was a follower and a soldier, nothing more. In fact, from childhood, they say Imam Hassan used to go to the masjid. And then he would come home and he would tell his mother about the stories and the hadiths that he heard from his grandfather Rasulullah and his mother would enjoy. So she told Imam Ali, she says, you know, Hassan comes and he tells us those beautiful stories. So Imam Ali came and he wanted to see his son quote Rasulullah and, 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 and tell his mother of what he has heard from the Prophet. So he was hiding behind a curtain. Imam Hassan came and his mother told him, Fatima told him, Hassan, speak to us. What did you see today? What did you hear today? And Imam Hassan would not speak. And she says to him, Hassan, why are you speaking? He says, Mother Fatima, I feel the presence of a man that is greater than me. I cannot speak. And he remained silent during the life of his father, being an obedient follower of the Imam until they placed until he placed him in his grave. There he gave a sermon. He says, Today we have lost the greatest of men after Rasulullah the first to become a Muslim a man who when he was in the battlefield Jibra'il would be on his right and Mikail would be on his left the icon of piety the icon of righteousness the hero of Islam and he concluded by saying I the grandson of Rasulullah I am the rightful successor to my father and they gave him bay'ah and the bay'ah came from different parts of the Muslim world except the Sham why? Because we said Sham was brainwashed. Hassan, no. The sons of Ali, no. As soon as he received the bay'ah in Kufa, Muawiyah wrote him the first letter. That Hassan, I am more powerful than you. I have accumulated wealth and power. And your army is fatigued by war. Step down from the position of Khilafah and hand it over to me. And people think Imam Hassan said to him, okay, sure, we'll do that. No. Imam Hassan responds to him. Look at the, the letter of Imam Hassan. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Praises Allah. And the Prophet and the Holy Progeny, then he says, Min al Hassan, Ibn Ali, Ibn Fatima, Sibtu Rasulillah. From Hassan, 
the son of Ali, the son of Fatima, the grandson of Rasulullah, إلى معاوية ابن أبي سفيان ابن حند آكلة الأكباد. معاوية, don't forget who you are. This is me, the son of Fatima, and you are the son of Hind who ate the liver of Hamza. I am the rightful owner of the Khilafah of my grandfather and my father, Amir al-Mu'mineen. And what makes you think that you are eligible for this Khilafah for you are amongst those who became Muslim after the Fath and you are amongst the Tulaqa. Muawiyah responds to him, if that is the position you insist on, bayni wa baynaka safe. Between me and you is the sword. And Imam Hassan was willing. Imam Hassan immediately gathered an army of 20,000 men. Muawiyah had gathered an army of 70,000 men. But Imam Hassan knew and was certain that he can defeat Muawiyah. Why? Because in his army he has Muhammad ibn Hanafiyah. In his army he has Malik al-Ashtar. And in his, in his army he has uh, Hussein ibn Ali. In his army he has Muslim ibn Aqil. In his army he has his brother Abu al-Faddal Abbas. He himself, the commander-in-chief. So he sent... The first, he deployed the first part of the army to face Muawiyah towards Sham and he put his cousin Ubaidillah bin Abbas as the head of the army. Ubaidillah bin Abbas, his own cousin. And the cousin of Amir al-Mu'mineen and the cousin of Rasulullah. He put him as the head of the army. They faced Muawiyah in the middle of the night. The spies of Muawiyah came to Ubaidillah ibn Abbas and they told him, you have two options. One, you fight us tomorrow, we're 70,000. He was either four or 6,000 men. Or you take one million golden dinars. Which one do you prefer? One million golden dinars. We'll hand it to you right now. Dua al-sabah, when you wake up in the morning, what do you say? Hawa'i ghalib. My nafs. Aqli maglub. Wa hawa'i ghalib. My nafs. In the battle between my nafs and my aql, my nafs overcomes my aql. Ubaidillah bin Abbas surrendered. Now imagine next thing you in the morning you wake up and they tell you your commander-in-chief has joined the army of Muawiyah. What happens to that army? And we're thinking here, that's so unfortunate. He was the relative of the imam, relative of the prophet. He sold himself and his imam for a million golden dinars. million golden dinars if, you know, each golden dinar is, what, 300, 400 dollars now. You tell me, what would you do if they offered you 30 million 
$40 million. <laughs> Some of us, we don't even need a million rupees will do. You know, because we love money. Human beings, what do we, we love money. Why do we speak of history? Is it because we just like to know history or is there going to be lessons learned from history? In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Jamma, you love money so much. Today, even a, a two-year-old kid wave some, you know, five dollars, ten dollars. They'll run. That kid that doesn't know the value of that money will run to that money. Because we love money. We make a lot of important decisions in life based on money. Somebody knocks at my door and wants to marry my daughter. The first thing I ask myself, how much money does this guy have? If I want to respect someone in the community, I don't respect him based on the amount of Salat al-Layl or knowledge or Quran or piety. I respect him based on how much money he has. Right? And we don't care where this money came from. We can care less where it came, came, came from. For what I know, it can come from fraud or, or cheating or many different ways. But as long as the guy is rich, I have to respect him. And I've said this many times. Some people come and ask me, they say, Sayyidna, you know we're on welfare, but we don't need it. We don't need it. So we take the money of the welfare and we donate it to the Amambarga. Excuse me? Who told you that's your duty? Why would you do something like that? And you think that is something honorable? I take the money from the welfare and I go to Ziyara with that money. I go to Hajj with that money. Islam stands for honesty. Islam honors those who make an honorable living. Islam honors someone who is a janitor or a trash picker that spends his days cleaning, spends his days even flipping burgers or washing bathrooms, but makes an honorable living, a halal living. Than a person who has millions of dollars but he's made it through ways that are not honest. Let us reevaluate the double standard sometimes in our community. Don't tell me, well, you know, this guy, Ubaidullah bin Abbas, he cheated the Imam because of money. I would never do something like that. You know, sometimes we love money so much, we think that we're taking this money with us. Where, where do you think you're taking this money with you? How much money do we need? When it comes to donating to the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah who's blessed me, Allah who's given me, Allah who's been generous to me, Allah who's been kind to me. When we want to give our dues, even our wajibat, we are Meisner. 
We don't give. Why? Because we love money so much. This is a true story. Some lady says her husband who was a multimillionaire, before his death, he told her, sweetheart, listen, when I die, I want you to bury my money with me. Nobody, nobody deserves to have this money. My kids don't deserve the inheritance. Nobody deserves that. I want this. I worked hard for this money. I got this money. So I want you to bury the money with me. She says, yes, inshallah, we'll bury the money with you. You just die and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, some people, they're just waiting, you know. They're just waiting every, when is this guy going to go so we can, you know. Enjoy the inheritance, enjoy the money because apparently he doesn't want to go, you know. If they can email Azrael to come sooner, they would. So they buried this guy at, at his burial. They saw that his wife, she threw a piece of paper in the grave. They asked her, excuse me, what did you put in his grave? His piece of maybe dua, maybe something. She says, I wrote him a check. He can go and cash the check if he likes. We think, Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Some people we think we are taking this money with us and this money is going to be our salvation even in the hereafter. That is not the case, brothers. That is not the case, sisters. So Ubaidillah, Ibn Abbas gave his akhirah, he sold his akhirah for his dunya. And he surrendered to Muawiyah. Then they went and they spread rumors at the reversed part of the army of Imam Hassan. Because Imam Hassan had some people behind, behind him to protect his headquarters. They went and they told them that the army that has gone forward has already surrendered to Muawiyah. And Imam Hassan has stepped down from the position of Khilafah. And they began to spread rumors. So the army got dismantled. 10 people from here, 50 people from here. And those, those people were tired, like I told you. Those people were, were not ready to fight anymore. They were fatigued. Some of them didn't even like Imam Hassan. You know, amongst the army of Imam Hassan was Shimr ibn Dhul Jawshan. Yes. Why was Shimr there? Because of the love for Imam Hassan? No. Because of the hate for Muawiyah and because he was looking for some position. So the army got dismantled until Imam Hassan himself was left with four or six thousand people himself and he still marched towards them. One day as he was leading the namaz, the prayers with his own people, with his own troops, he was stabbed. They wanted to stab him in the back, so they kill him, but they stabbed him in the thigh during salah. And there a man by the name of Mukhtar, a Thaqafi, who then became one of the heroes, took Imam and he kept him in his home and protected him. Then Muawiyah wrote him the letter, Ya Hassan, your army has been dismantled. He purchased with 200,000, 500,000, 1 million. Some of them, he says to them, I will marry you to my daughters. I will marry you to my nieces. I will marry you to my cousins. I will give you positions. 
he bought every one of them with, with the money of whom? The money of the Muslims that he had accumulated in the time of the late Khalifa Uthman ibn Affan. Imam Hassan told his companions, he says to them, with this small number facing 70,000, I am willing to fight. But no Shia will remain, no follower of Ahl al-Bayt. You will be annihilated. Let us go into an agreement with Muawiyah. So letters were exchanged, ambassadors were exchanged until they reached this conclusion. Listen to it. This is the most important part of the sermon today. The first is that Muawiyah stops and refrains from the cursing of Imam Ali, Fatima, Hassan, and Hussein from his manabir. Number two, Muawiyah pays ransom money, blood money for those who were innocently killed in the battle of Safin. You know, Muawiyah, he didn't spare nobody. He killed the son of Abu Bakr. He killed the son of Khalid ibn Walid. He killed the son of the Sahaba. He killed the Sahaba. Tomorrow we will talk about his biography. MashaAllah. There's so much to be said. Today we're talking about the biography of Imam al-Hassan. But I'm drawing a picture for you of how manipulative his governance was. So second, you pay... Blood money for those who were killed in Safin and those who are being assassinated and killed now. Number three, the Shia and the follower of Ahl al-Bayt receive from Bayt al-Mal. Because he wouldn't pay them from Bayt al-Mal. He says, you have to curse Ali for me to pay you from Bayt al-Mal. And they cannot be prosecuted or killed. Number four, if you die, you cannot give the succession to your son or to anybody else for that point, for that matter. And it has to return to me, Hassan ibn Ali. Or if I am killed, or if I am not alive, then my brother Hussein ibn Ali. And last, the most important one, you cannot claim the position of being Amir al-Mu'mineen. No one can call you Amir al-Mu'mineen. Why? Because Imam Hassan wants to tell the world, I am not, give, I am not accepting him as a Khalifa. He is not Amir al-Mu'mineen. He is not the Khalifa of the Muslims. This is the same treaty that I had with him, just like my grandfather Rasulullah had a treaty with whom? Sul Hudaybiyah. We spoke of Sul Hudaybiyah. In the sixth year after the Hijrah, Rasulullah had a peace treaty. And truce with whom? With his father. With his grandfather. With his uncles. The... Imam Hassan, when he signed the peace treaty, they asked him, Ya ibn Rasulullah, how, how can we do this? He says, just like my grandfather did. His fathers and ancestors were the kuffar and the actual message. He, they are the kuffar and the interpretation of the message. We had a, a truce with the kuffar who publicly called themselves Muslim, but privately, no, they are there to destroy Islam. In fact, Abu Sufyan says, every time I hear 
أشهد أن محمد رسول الله I cannot bear but to, to, to dislike the fact that the name of Muhammad is being raised from every pulpit every day for every salah. This was their aim, to destroy the religion of Islam. And in general, the most important of the parts of the agreement was that you have to follow Kitab Allah wa Sunnah Rasulih. You don't create innovation, you don't distort the religion of Islam, you don't hijack the religion of Islam. Now, we will talk about how Muawiyah reacted towards this agreement. But he entered Kufa and Imam Hassan went back to where? Medina. When he entered Kufa, he told them, Ya Ahl al-Iraq, all you people of Iraq, I didn't fight you all those years. I didn't fight you so you pay zakat or you pray or you fast. I fought you so that I can become your boss. So I can rule you and govern you. So that you can become in my reign, in my governance, in my territory. And if you go astray, I will fix you with my sword. Be careful. Imam Hassan went back to Medina. He hired his wife Ju'da bint al-Ash'ath to poison him. He was poisoned and he struggled with the poison for 40 days until the martyrdom of Imam Hassan. Sibtu Rasulillah. Then they tell me, Muawiyah radiyallahu anhu. Imam Hassan radiyallahu anhu. Yeah, you can say that if you don't understand history. He struggled with the poison until he died. When he died, he told his brother Hussein, my will is that you take me to the house of my father Rasulullah, my grandfather Rasulullah, and you bury me there. Because he was the inheritor of the house of Rasulullah. He was the rightful owner of the house of Rasulullah. He inherited his mother Fatima. They took the body of Imam Hassan, Sayyid Shabab Ahl al-Jannah, to the doorsteps of the house of Rasulullah. The wife of Rasulullah, Aisha, says, Nahu, Nahuhu an bayti, remove him from my home. I don't like him. Rasulullah says, Inni uhibbu, wa inna allaha yuhibbu, wa inna allaha yuhibbu man ahabbah. Allah loves those who love him. She says, remove him from here. Remove him from my home. This is his home. There was a dispute to bury him there. They bombarded the body of Imam al-Hasan with arrows. Imam al-Hussein was given directions by his brother, Imam Hassan. If an agree disagreement happened, take me to Baqiq. Imam Hussein remained silent for 10 years after the martyrdom of his brother Hassan. 
He followed the commands of his brother Hassan even after his death. He honored the treaty of Imam Hassan after his death or else after the death of Imam Hassan, Imam Hussein could have said, I'm going to war with Muawiyah. But he remained silent for 10 years following the orders and directions of his brother Hassan. The map that he had drawn for him, they took the body of Imam Hassan to Baqiq. After they buried the body of Imam Hassan in Baqiq, Imam Hussein looked around and he said, where is my brother Abel Fadl Abbas? At such a time, where is Abbas? Where is Abel Fadl? They searched the city, they saw him standing in front of the grave of Rasulullah. Holding on to his sword. Holding on to the sword and shaking and crying. They told him, Ya Abel Fadl, Ya Ibn Amir al-Mu'mineen, why is it that you're crying? You're holding on to your shield, to your sword, and you're crying and you're shaking. He says, how can I see that they remove the grandson of Rasulullah from his own home and they disrespect his janazah and I have to keep the sword shielded and it's shield. How can I, what am I going to say to his mother Fatima? What am I going to say to his grandfather, Rasulullah? What will I say to my father, Amir al-Mu'mineen? Imam Hussein held him. He says to him, Ya Abel Fadl, you will be the defender of the grandson of Rasulullah. Your day will come, Ya Abel Fadl. Today is not your day, but your day will come. A day where you will defend the grandson of Rasulullah with your life. And today we commemorate the name of the son of Amir al-Mu'mineen. As-salamu alayka ayyuhal abdu al-salih al-muti'u lillahi wa li-rasoolih wa li-amir al-mu'mineen wa lil-hasani wal-husayn Peace be upon you, O the son of Amir al-mu'mineen who defended Rasulullah and Fatima and Hassan and Hussein and you gave everything you had on the 10th of Muharram and beyond to protect Alu Rasulullah. Yes. He knew that he was the son of Ali but Hassan and Hussein were the sons of Rasulullah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.